we are starting a brand new series uh, called Relationship Status. And uh, a lot of churches, a lot of times people will do, um, in February, they'll do like a, a series on love or marriage. And honestly, I did not want to do that this year. I wanted to put it in January. I really wanted to start the year off that way. But, um, but then I, I decided to make a few changes in how we did things. And, and even with this series, one of the things I want to let you know is, is this series, because some people may come in and they say, as soon as they see something about marriage or relationships, if they're single, they're like, I don't want to go. I mean, I don't want to hear what they've got to say if, if it's all about married people and I'm not married. But I just want to let you know that this series is not just for married people. We will have a couple of messages specifically for married people. Today actually is going to lean more towards the single side a little bit. Um, the very last message in the series is going is to lean heavy on the single side. And some of you may be saying, well, I'm married, so what do I need to know about singles? If you're married, chances are you may have a child. You may have a child on the way. You may have a child coming up. If you're like me, you've got two teenagers and one that's about to be a teenager. And so I need to know all I can know about what the Bible says about forming good, healthy relationships. Because I don't want my kids to be jacked up, Right? And so my kids are going to want to start dating at some point. Um, I don't know when. I'm trying to push it off as far as I can. But at some point, they're going to realize that there's an opposite sex out there. And so when they do, I need to be prepared to know what the Bible says. And so we're going to be talking about all of that kind of stuff today. But with that being said, the Bible says this. It says that God's word is bread for the eater and seed for the sower. So anytime I step into a message, anytime I'm listening to someone talk, I remind myself that God's word is bread for the eater so if there's something I need from what God's saying, if there's something I need from the pastor or, or from the church or from the message, then there's something for me to consume. But sometimes maybe it's stuff I already know. Maybe it's not something I necessarily need. So then it becomes seed for the sower because there's going to come a time when you're going to have to plant seeds in someone else's life. So my goal today is to feed those of you that are starving, that need something from God's word. And for those of you that already know this stuff, I'm giving you seed that you can plant in someone else's life. All right. So today we're going to get started. Uh, I, I read this little joke. I thought it was funny. Maybe it's not a joke. Uh, but this guy, Lawrence, asked his dad one time. He said, Dad, is it true that in ancient China, a man did not even know his wife until they got married? And Lawrence's father said, son, that happens everywhere, everywhere. Um, so, uh, not, I mean, I knew my wife very well. She didn't change at all after we got married. She's the same woman. Um, if you would turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 18, not necessarily a book a lot of people preach from, um, Leviticus, I'm reading it right now in my Bible reading plan, and a lot of you are doing Bible reading plans, and you may be in Leviticus also, and I just want to say, wow, it is tough, right? Sometimes Leviticus is tough, I thank God that my Bible reading plan also throws in New Testament um, but I was reading through Leviticus the other day, and I got to chapter 18, and here's what it said, and this stood out to me for today. It said, uh, this is God speaking to Israel, and he says, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live, or like the people in Canaan where I'm taking you. In other words, God says, look, there's this old lifestyle that you used to have, and I'm commanding you right now, don't live like the old way you used to live. There's an old way of living that's pretty jacked up in your life. And some of y'all can say amen to that. You know what your life used to be like. You know where you came from. And that way, God says, is not good for you. Don't live like that. But then he said, there's also a new culture, a new era, a new place I'm bringing you. And he says, listen, whenever you step into the land of the Canaanites, don't live like them either. 
There, there, there's always new truths and new, new um, society comes up with all these new ideas. And God's saying, listen, I don't want you living like your old way. I don't want you living like the societies around you. Here's what he says. He says, you must not, be, you must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all of my regulations and be careful to obey all of my decrees for I am the Lord your God. This part is really cool. He says, you must obey all my regulations and be careful to... Oh, I wrote that one twice. Let me see the next verse, Emma. It says, if you, if you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. There's something about whenever we obey God and we listen to what he's got to say that we find life. And sometimes we want to see what everybody else has to say. We want to see what Dr. Phil has to say. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to find life in what your buddies have to say. You're not going to find life in what society has to say. You're only going to find life in what God has to say. You're not even really going to find life in what I have to say. I have people ask me all the time, what do you think about? And I, I tell them right off the bat, what I think doesn't really matter because I'm flawed too. What matters is what God's word says, period. And I try my best to think what God says, right? This is where I try to set my life. And so, so this is important. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn uh, to know God's will for you, which is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me ask you a question. In relationships, in your, if you're married today, if you're dating today, if you're single today, in relationships, do you want your way or God's way? It's a big question to ask. Because a lot of times we want our way, right? We want what we want. Because the world has changed the way we view relationships. And they've made relationships very selfish. It's all about me and what I can get out of this. They've made relationships very sexual. It's all about sex. It's all about desire. It's all about looks. And because they've changed the way we view relationships, it kind of has warped even the church's view of relationships. And so we need to understand something. I was uh, at Christmas time, my, my sister-in-law bought some comic books for my nephew. And she was like, I want him to have some comic books. And he's into, you know, Marvel movies and the DC movies. And so I thought I'd buy him some comic books. And so she bought like, I don't know where she got them online, just like a stack of random comic books. And she said, Gabriel, would you go through these and make sure that they're appropriate for, for the nephew. And I said, absolutely. And so I start looking through the comic books and I was just like, like shocked. I was like, my goodness, there's no way I would give this to a 10 year old kid. I mean, first of all, it's unrealistic. How many women would go to war in a bikini? I don't know any women, right? That fight in bikinis, but in the comics, all of them do, right? Like, like you got Wonder Woman out there and you got people shooting bullets and Wonder Woman's like, I could be like Iron Man and put on a full suit of armor or I can strip down to a bikini and just see what happens. It's stupid. But what we've done is we've over-sexualized everything. I don't even know if they have them anymore, but the old Carl's Jr. Uh, Hardee's commercials. It was like they're trying to make a hamburger that will absolutely destroy your heart sexy. And I'm like, it's not even all that sexy whenever someone bites into it and you see all the fat and grease just come out of it, right? It's like, you know what? I think I would rather live. That's not good. And so we've over-sexualized things. As a matter of fact, it, that even creeps into the church. I was, I was talking to someone a while back about, about dating, and we were talking about a, a person that was dating, and, and, and the, the person in the church told me, they said, 
well, isn't it crazy that they're still a virgin? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think that's crazy. And they said, yeah, but they're dating this person and they're not even having sex. And I said, okay, well, I don't understand the point. And they said, how can you get to know someone if you're not having sex with them? And it hit me. We've got a really twisted view on relationships. And so I thought I couldn't get mad because in church, here's what we do in church as pastors. We just decide not to talk about it. It's just easier to tell you, here's three good points that you can do. If you just communicate with your spouse, then life is going to be so much better. And we just absolutely avoid things like sex. And so today, um, we're going to mention it. We're going to mention it. We may not talk all about it, but we're going to mention it. Um, but, but it's because we've got a jacked up view. And so I want to get us back in something normal. So today's message series, uh, today's message is called Love Triangle. Love Triangle. And so I'm going to use three words out of the New Testament for love. So the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Um, so in the New Testament, the Greeks had an interesting way of talking about love, right? So it, the Greeks had multiple words, not just three. They had multiple words that meant love. And, and so it really helped distinguish what you were talking about a lot better than Americans do. So like, I'm super excited that Five Guys is coming back to Trustful, right? Super pumped that Five Guys is coming back to Trustful because I love, I love their french fries, and I love the double uh, cheeseburger with bacon. Love it. I love it. I also love my wife of 18 years, right? I also love my parents and my children. I also love you guys, right? Now, think about it for a second. Do I love you in the same way that I love my wife? No, let's hope not, right? Like, there's something really wrong. I need counseling. Do I love my wife in the same way that I love my kids? Absolutely not. Do I love cheeseburgers the same way I love my wife? Maybe. It's getting kind of close. <laughs> okay, I mean, y'all are crazy when you're talking about me loving you, but when you're talking about cheeseburgers, I don't know. Um, so, so we need to understand something. The Greeks, the Greeks, they would have multiple words so you can distinguish what level of love you were at for something, right? And, and so today we're going to talk about three of those levels, and, and, and look, when it comes in the, context, in, the, in, the, in the context of relationships, these three levels have a distinct, um, ha- have a distinct uh, pattern that they need to follow. Now, now, one of the words we'll talk about today, agape, is the way God loves. Um, the Bible says that you should agape your enemies, right? Like, like you don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to be romantically involved with them, but you still need to love them. So there's, it, when you're talking about enemies, you're talking about other people, it's a different story. But in the context of relationship, here are the three words for love, and we're going to build on each one of these. The first one, the first part of our triangle today is the word phileo, the word Phileo. And phileo is the foundation of what we're building here. So I think I've got a triangle up there for you, and I've got phileo at the bottom. And so what that is, is that's the foundation. Phileo, you may recognize this, like from Philadelphia, right? The city Philadelphia. Who knows? The city of brotherly love. So phileo means brotherly love. Phileo is friendship. It's friendship. And this is the first aspect of love that we need to establish. And so I've even got a ladder here just to help continue um, the illustration. But phileo would be this bottom level, the most stable of the levels of this ladder, right? And and so phileo is where we start. Every relationship must start with friendship. It must start with friendship. So if you're like me and your kids are, are becoming teenagers, here's my advice. If you're a teenager in the room, here's my advice. 
Do not get into a relationship with somebody and immediately start saying, I love you. Don't get into a relationship with somebody and immediately start saying, we are boyfriend and girlfriend and we're never going to be apart. When you're 16, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And so what I advise people all the time is be friends. Learn how to be friends. Learn how to be friends because friendship will travel with you through every other level of relationship. You got to be friends first. You got to be friends first. So when I'm talking to parents about their kids dating or I'm talking to my kids about it, I tell them, I said, learn to be friends. Perry and I got to know each other, um, A, at church and B, on a ski trip. We went on a ski trip with the church group. And when we did, we rode next to each other because we were adults and we were the only two adults on our van. Adults. We were out of high school, right? And so I'm driving the van, and she's sitting shotgun in the van. She didn't like me, and I thought she was amazing. And so we rode all the way to West Virginia. We had a nine-hour drive, and in that nine-hour drive, I talked to her and talked to her and talked to her, and I just kept whittling her down, whittling her down, until finally she broke, and she started talking back, right? And when she started talking back, all of my charm came out, and I wooed her, and now we're married. Like, that's just it. That's the key. We didn't immediately say, by the end of the nine-hour drive, we're dating and we're getting married one day. We just learned how to be friends. We learned how to talk. We learned how to have fun. We learned how to laugh together. And so we became friends. And for a long time, we were friends. And whenever we went and did stuff, we did stuff with other people. Why? Because we were friends. We weren't exclusive. If she wanted to see other guys, um, that was fine. I mean, I cried a little. But it was fine. Why? Because we were just friends, right? We were friends. And so you need to understand the friendship is the first thing. And, and just a couple of quick little thoughts on friendship. This will help you if you're married. This will help you if you're not married. Uh, the, the first idea on friendship is you've got to have common ground. There, there needs to be something in common, right? If you have nothing in common, it's very hard to be friends with somebody. You can't be friends with everybody. You can love everybody, but you can't be friends with everybody. Not everybody wants to be your friend. As much as I love some of you... You're great people, but you may not, not everybody loves you like I love you, right? So we're not, not everybody's got to be friends. And so you got to have common ground with people. And, and listen, here, here's the thing on common ground. Uh, that common ground needs to be, maybe you need to find a hobby that you like together. Maybe you need to find a, a, a show that you watch together. But one of the most common or one of the most, the deepest parts of common ground is spiritually you need to have common ground. I see so many people that, that jump into relationships so fast and they've got no common ground even spiritually. This person doesn't care anything about God. This person loves God with all their heart. And all of a sudden you see conflict from the very beginning there's conflict. Are you telling me that if I'm dating somebody that's not a Christian that I should break up with them? I'm telling you probably you should. Before you progress up the levels of relationship because when you get married it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult. And so you got to have a common ground. You need to be able to communicate with somebody. You need to have that ability to talk to somebody, communicate with them. We say this at every marriage night, every marriage um, seminar you go to, one of the key things they're going to say is communication, communication, communication. Communication doesn't start when you get married. Communication starts when you're friends. You just learn how to talk to folks. I was talking to my son the other day, and, and uh, I may have told this story last week. I can't remember now, but... Uh, they were they had the Sadie Hawkins dance in Trustful like a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that, and um, and my son did not go to the Sadie Hawkins dance, 
and uh, I didn't care. Really, I didn't know what was happening, and, and obviously he didn't care. He was playing video games with his friends on Xbox, and so, um, so someone was talking about the Sadie Hawkins dance, and said, they said, well, did, did, stupid wife. They said, did, uh, did, did Gabriel go to the Sadie Hawkins dance? And I said, no. I said, he did not go to the Sadie Hawkins dance. I said, honestly, I don't know if Gabriel even knows any girls. Like, I'm not sure if he has a friend that's a girl at all, or if he ever even speaks to girls. And so I asked him, I said, son, did, uh, first of all, do you know any girls? He's like, yeah, I I know some girls. And I said, have you ever spoken to any of them? He said, well, yeah, I think so, you know. And I said, did anybody even ask you or talk to you about the Sadie Hawkins dance? Because that's the one where girls ask the guys, you know. And, And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, this one girl, she started trying to ask me. And I said, well, what happened? He said, hey, uh, are you going to the Sadie Hawkins dance? And I was like, no, I'm going to be playing video games with my boys. He said, and she walked right off. And I said, yeah, I I guess so, son. I'm sure she did. So you got to be able to communicate. you got to be able to communicate. And then the third thing is you got to have communion. you got to have communion. There's got to be a time when you guys just have fun and you enjoy each other's company. And there's got to be that common union. And, and, And that's one of the things I was so impressed so if you're a single, um, I'll probably use this in my last message of the series, but one of the things I was so impressed with Perry whenever we were coming up is I saw Perry in college, and I saw that Perry had lots of friends. She had guy friends, and she had girlfriends, but she had lots of friends, and she was able to have common ground with people. She was able to communicate with people without being awkward, and she was able to commune with people. She had fun with them. They would go to church. They would go to small groups. They would go have fun. They would go bowling, and, and I could see Perry having fun and enjoying life with other people. I watched other people that couldn't do that. Other people that couldn't communicate. They couldn't have, have communion with the opposite sex. I, I watched people that, that they would immediately dive into dating. And the first time that boy or that girl talked to someone else or even looked at someone else, not even in a sexual way, but just, just, just as a friend, that they would sit in the corner and sulk and pout. Can't stand people that sulk and pout. I hope none of you do that. But what happened? They didn't understand the idea of how to be friends. All they knew was dive deep into a relationship, not be friends first. So the first level is phileo. That's friendship. The second level, as we continue to build up, as we continue to climb up our ladder here, is the level called agape. This is how God loves, right? Uh, the, The definition, this is divine love. This is unconditional love. This is even sacrificial love. I want to show you a couple of verses where where the Bible says agape. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, here's what Jesus says. John 15 is really cool, by the way. I didn't throw it all in here because I was getting too long in my message. But there's even another part where John talks, or Jesus says, um, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Right, And so he, he begins to elevate people from acquaintances to friend level to phileo level. And, and then later he says, um, not only are you friends, but I love you, agape love, and you should love each other the same way. So it's really cool how he does this. But here's what he says in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, love or agape each other in the same way I have agape you. There is no greater agape love than to lay down one's life for his friends. So you can agape somebody without being married to them, right? You can, you can have that friend that's so close to you that you're willing to sacrifice whatever you can for that person. 
Maybe you've had a friend like that in your past. Hopefully that friend, um, you've got a friend right now, if you're married, hopefully that friend is your wife, right, or your husband. But you've got to have somebody in your life. You, you elevate yourself up to a place where you are willing to sacrifice and give up for someone else. Ephesians 5.25 says this, For husbands, this means love or agape your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he do it? He gave up his life for her. There's a place where we have to be willing to sacrifice and give up for the other person. You don't do that until you become friends first. But agape is a kind of covenant relationship. The Bible talks about multiple uh, friendships that were like this. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Jonathan was the son of the king. David was the guy that was anointed to be king. And so it, it was really David was, was anointed by God to take Jonathan's spot. But they were such good friends that Jonathan said, Listen, I'll gladly give up the throne and serve you because you're my best friend. And so you need to understand that this agape love is a different kind of love. This is a committed kind of love. This is a love that's in covenant with each other. So, so whenever a couple gets married, the idea is they're getting married under agape love. They're not just friends. They're not just in lust. They're in love with agape love. You need to ask yourself a question whenever you're in a relationship. Is You need to ask yourself, am I willing to give up my life for this person? Am I willing or able to be the spiritual leader this person needs? Am I prepared to be a parent, to lead a family, or to provide for the needs of others? I would ask that to my daughter sitting in the back right now. Like whenever she wants to get involved with another guy, what I'm going to have to think is, baby, how far are you willing to go for this person? And if you're not willing, if you're not willing to go that far, then you need to be friends until you are. You need to be friends until you are. You can have good relationships. You can have a lot of fun. But at 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old, are you really ready? Are you really ready for agape love? I don't think you are. I personally don't think you are. Now, there was a time in American history when, when people got married at 16, right? Can you imagine a 16-year-old getting married right now? I mean, I can't imagine my son being married. His poor wife. She better, he better marry a maid, like, because he, he does not know how to clean for nothing. The Bible also says this. I didn't put this one in the notes um, but in 1 Corinthians 13, we read, the, we read this all the time. As a pastor, when I do weddings, we read this all the time. But, but the whole love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Here's the thing. The love chapter uses the word agape. So here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, here's how God loves, right? Agape is a God type of love. Here's how God loves. And so, therefore, this is how you should love also. And verse 4 could be enough to get us through. Love suffers long and is kind. We can stop right there. Right off the bat, that's a hard one. Love suffers long and is kind. Some of us have learned how to serve and sacrifice and suffer long for our spouses. 
but can you do it and be kind at the same time? Not many people can do that. That's agape love. Until you're ready to do that, don't get married. Don't get married. Until you're ready to suffer along and be kind about it, then you need to stay single. Until you can figure it out. Why? Because there's levels to this. If I want to try to jump from the floor to here to agape, I can do it. I can do it. I might need to change shoes and pants, but I can do it. But chances are, if I do it, it might get a little rocky. Right? It might get a little rocky. The best way to go up the ladder is to take it one step at a time. That's the safest way to do it. But what we want to do sometimes is, is we fall in lust with this person, and she is so fine, and he's got such a good job and so much money that I just want to get married, and I just want to lock this thing down, right? And so we just jump right up here. This thing's already broken. I'm a little scared right now, but I'm trying to play cool. Easy. We just try to jump up there. And then we wonder why our marriages are jacked up. We wonder why it's so rocky in the beginning. Why? Because you never learned how to be a friend first, and then you never understood agape love that meant I had to sacrifice and be kind. And be kind. I get up. I, I don't say this to brag. A lot of you know this already. But I get up in the mornings, read my Bible, uh, eat my breakfast. Very important. I take care of myself like in an airplane. Take care of yourself first. Um, read my Bible, eat my breakfast, and then I fix Perry's lunch. Every morning, right? Every morning I fix her lunch. And then I write a note to Perry. Every morning I put a note in her, in her lunch box so that she can take that to work with her. And then she comes home from school and I need some validation. So I'm like, babe, did you read your note today? And she's like, oh, you wrote a note today? And then I go in the closet and I cry for about 30 minutes and I come back out. I'm like, it's all good, right? Um, but, but the point is, there could be times, there could be times when I'm trying to serve her and help her, and there are times when she'll come out of the room and she'll say, hey, by the way, will you take the trash out? Okay, now, if I'm already making her lunch and writing her a note, and then she wants me to take the trash out? Are you kidding me? I'm already serving you. You don't tell me to do more things, right? But that's how we act in marriage a lot of times, is we say, I've already emptied the dishwasher don't be asking me to vacuum the floor, too. And so we think I've served, but we're not kind. I've been long-suffering, yeah, but you weren't kind in doing it. I don't know why I'm staying on that so long. That was really a, like a little side note on my notes today, but maybe I needed to hear it. Um, so let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So we've got phileo. We've got agape. And if you're like me, I've got one of these at my house. It's not broken like this one. I've got one of these at my house. And when I go in my attic, the builder of my house did not put down one of those pull-down stairs or ladders. All he put was a straight-up hole in the top of my ceiling. And what I have to do is I get out my ladder like this, and my ladder's not tall enough. So guess where I have to step next to get into my attic? I get up here. Oh, Josh was like, do it, do it. These blue jeans are too tight. I would do it. I get all the way up here on my, on my ladder in my, to get into my attic. And that's how I climb up. This represents the last type of love. The last type of love is called eros. It's the last Greek word for love. And eros, you can look at that right off the bat. And you know exactly where we're going, right? Because eros is where we get the word erotic, right? So this is a romance sexual type of love. 
Now notice, notice that we're building up. And I want you to notice something else. Eros is there and it's not bad. So, so right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, in church, Eros love is not bad. Eros love is good. It's real good. If you're a teenager in the room today, you should have helped in the nursery. As a matter of fact, let's read what, what the Bible says about Eros kind of love. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So we're almost done with the message today. Let's get through this part. This is good. So a couple of things I want you to notice here is, is number one, it says that the marriage bed should be honored. It says marriage should be honored, not the bed. It says marriage should be honored. We have dishonored marriage in our society left and right. We constantly dishonor marriage. How do we dishonor marriage? We dishonor marriage through adultery. We dishonor marriage through divorce. We dishonor marriage through sexual relationship before sacrificial love. We dishonor marriage through neglect and abuse. We are constantly dishonoring marriage. I, I, get, I get weary sometimes. And I, I tell people every time, I know, and I know there are couples in here that I need to do premarital counseling with. I know all, right off the bat, so I know you're looking at me. I'm going to just look at the floor. No. I, every time I do premarital counseling, I did premarital counseling with Sean and Lexi, and I told them right off the bat, I said, yes, I agree to do premarital counseling with you, but I know full well you're not going to listen to anything I say. And maybe they did. I hope you did. But they probably didn't. And I tell them all the time, I said, all people think about in premarital counseling, they're thinking about the wedding. They're not thinking about the marriage. Right? we got to think about the marriage. The marriage has to be honored. It's got to be special. It's got to be a big deal. It's got to be honored among us. Why? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about the one and talk about how we honor the one, how we protect the one, how we build the one. But today we're just going to say marriage should be honored. It should be a big deal. The second thing the Bible says is it says marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, sex in marriage is not a bad thing, right? It says don't defile it. Make it good. Sex should be good. It should be for reproductive purposes only. Teenagers. No, I'm just kidding. It should be fun. It should be enjoyed. Paul says don't hold back from your spouse. He doesn't say don't hold back from other people. He says definitely hold back from that. He says but don't hold back from your spouse. Why? Because it should be fun. It should be for reproduction. It should be fun. But here's the key. It should be a spiritual bond between you and your spouse. When the Bible talks about the two becoming one, there is a spiritual aspect. There's a physical aspect of sex, but there's a spiritual aspect as well. That when I have, um, when I consummate a marriage, I am becoming one with that person. I'm becoming one with that person. It is a spiritual bond. That's why it's so important. The next part of what Paul says. The next thing says this. It says sexually immoral and adulterous will be judged. What does that mean? Adultery is any time, any kind of sexual sin, or any kind of sin, really, honestly, it could be emotional, that breaks the covenant of marriage. Why? Because the marriage bed should be honored. The marriage should be honored. So we don't want to break it through adultery by looking around at other people. Once you make that covenant, baby, you made a covenant. That's it. In my eyes and in God's eyes, you're together. Stay that way. 
We've got lots of couples in here that have been divorced in their past. And, and listen, every one of them would tell you exactly what I'm telling you right now. Stay that way. Stay that way. Honor the marriage. It's important. But then he says sexually immoral. The word sexually immoral is kind of a cool word in a sense because in the Greek there, it's the word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. But it's, it just means any sexual act outside of marriage, outside of the covenant that you make. So when I talk to people, sometimes I, when, whenever we do counseling and stuff, and I'm talking to people and they're, they're having sex and they're not married, I'll say, listen, here's what I want you to do. I know you didn't know this, but the Bible says don't do that, so stop doing it. Just stop doing it until you get married. It's that easy. It's that easy. Go sleep in a different bedroom. It's that easy. Sexually immoral and adulterous get judged. Why is God so hard on sex? Because he's so pro-sex that he's got to be hard on anything that would defile it. That's it. That's what he does. And here's where we're going get, to get to an end. Don't move too quickly. The Song of Solomon is a book all about Eros. If you have ever read Song of Solomon, you definitely need to be 21 to read it. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. Here's what it says. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, do not awaken love until the time is right. Do not awaken love until the time is right. Here's what that means. I looked it up because I wanted to make sure I was right on this. So in the commentaries that I looked up, here's what they said. They said it means to let our love progress and grow until it's mature and fruitful. In other words, what he's saying is don't skip steps. Build a foundation of friendship first. Then learn how to be sacrificially in love with somebody before you ever get up on this top rung of eros, which is always a little shaky, right? But don't ever get up here unless you've walked up all the steps. Another way to look at that is to think about the triangle that we have. This is pretty stable as it is because it's got a wide base. But if I were to take the same ladder and flip it around, if I start my relationships with Eros, it's very unstable. This is not a firm foundation. You think about, we live in a country right now that aborts, we, we talk about how many people have died from COVID, but we're killing more babies than are being killed by COVID. We kill them every day. We, we kill them every day. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one might be because we've started our relationships wrong. We live in a culture today where people get divorced all the time and they have marriage problems and, and what happened? They started with sex, but listen, the thing about sex is if you're not friends, sex doesn't satisfy you enough. So if I don't have an emotional connection, if I don't have an agape love with somebody, then in, in all I started my relationship on with sex, then sex is what I'm going to build on, and I've got to find more excitement somewhere else. And in the way we teach kids about dating, where if you don't like them, you just break up and start another relationship, it's the same way in marriage. Whenever it doesn't satisfy me, when it's a little bit shaky, I just go find somebody else. So that's why we struggle with uh, adultery. We struggle with pornography. We, we struggle with, with emotional flings at the office. Why? Because we built our life on something that's not stable. It just doesn't work like that in relationships. You build and you build and you build. You use stability to do it because the Bible says 
Don't awaken love before it's time. So teenagers, don't awaken love before it's time. So I was praying, and this is where we're going to close. 1 Peter chapter 5. I was like, God, this message can feel very harsh in some parts. I mean, right off the bat, like when I start saying stuff like, don't have sex before you get married because the Bible says so. When I say that right off the bat, like if you're having sex and you're not married, then you're like, man, I hate that guy. Like he's an idiot. If I say things like adultery or divorce, there's some of you that have experienced both. And right off the bat, it just creates a knot in your heart. And I want you to know today, first of all, I would never purposely say anything to, to get a rise or hurt anybody's feelings. But the other thing I want you to know is I, I always go by God's word only, not my opinion. And, and as I was praying, I was like, God, how can we end this message? It ends on such a downer. And, and the word came to me, the word restoration, just kept being repeated over and over and over in my mind and in my heart. Restoration. And so I looked up this verse, and here's what, man, this verse is really cool, and I think this is a good verse for you this week. No matter where you are in life, this is a really good verse. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 10. I know it's a little long, but bear with me. I think you're going to like it. It says this, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. I'm going to go through this another time. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, verse 10, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and he will place you, this is so cool, on a firm foundation. So let's go back up real quick. Just bear with me. Verse 6. Number 1, humble yourself. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. If you heard this message today and part of it applied to you and part of you was a little bit hurt and a little bit mad and, and, and you're thinking, you know, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Here, here's my advice to you. According to Peter, humble yourself. Not before Gabriel. Gabriel's a nobody. Humble yourself before God. And he'll lift you up. Humble yourself before God. Go to God and say, God, I heard what he said. Am I really wrong? I'm willing to be wrong, God. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm going to humble myself before you, and I'm going to let you lift me up in your due time. Part of humbling yourself sometimes is, is praying, it's confessing, it's repenting. These are all humbling things that we do. Verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Right off the bat, I know there's some people, because I remember sitting in your seat whenever I was a teenager, whenever I was a young adult, and, and, and there were aspects of my life that weren't right, and a preacher would get up and he would say something, and all of a sudden I would, oh, I'm going to hell. You know, like, I'm going to hell today. I'm going to hell right now. And I would ask God, please forgive me. I repent of my sins. But in the back of my mind, I just knew that there was really no forgiveness. Right? I knew that God couldn't really forgive me. He could forgive everybody else, but he couldn't really forgive me. And here's what Peter says. Peter says, humble yourself and he'll lift you up. You'll be forgiven. Don't sweat that part. Then he says, listen, cast all your worries, your fear, your doubt, your anxiety 
If you doubt that God can forgive you, I promise you, you're wrong. God can forgive anything. He's a big God. He's way bigger than your sin. I promise you that. Verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Listen, the enemy is, is wandering around. He, he's looking for somebody that he can devour. And in this moment, he's looking for you. Some of you are in relationships right now, and, and, and you're struggling in this relationship. And I'm telling you that Satan is looking to devour you. Why? Because you have purpose and destiny in your life. God has, has planted a seed of destiny in you, and Satan wants to destroy you. And the easiest way to destroy you is through sexual sin, through relationships, through other people. That's the easy way to get you because we get so emotionally attached, he can break us down. So here's what he says. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Listen, the most important thing you can do is be strong in your faith. Be strong in your faith. Dive into God's word. Find out what God says. And then you stand on that. You stand on that. God says that you are forgiven, that you are loved. Then you stand on that. So when the enemy comes against you and and tries to tell you that you're a nobody, you say, no, 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 no. No, I'm standing firm in my faith. God has forgiven me. I don't have to bow down to that. When your boyfriend or girlfriend starts pressuring you into something that you know is wrong, you stand on your faith. You say, no, 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 I was called for a purpose. The Bible says I am holy, I am set apart. The Bible says that marriage should be honored, and I'm going to honor God right now. Whenever you're at work, and, and, and that guy or that girl's flirting with you, and you know it would be so easy because you and your spouse are having some issues at home, and you know it would be so easy, no one would ever know what you did at work. You stand firm in your faith because the enemy is looking to destroy you. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your future. He don't play. Stand firm against him. And then verse 10. This is one I love so much. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory. He has called you. Everybody, right now, put your hand on your heart and say, I am called. called. No, you didn't say it like you meant it. Say it one more time. I am called. You are called, you are called to share in his eternal glory. Each and every one of you is called. So let's live like it. Let's remember it. I'm called. Yeah, but Gabriel, you don't know what I did. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did. Because the Bible says that God can forget your past. He can forget it. Then it says that he will restore you. Some of us need to be restored. He will support you. He will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? I hope we're still friends after this message, but more importantly, I hope you're friends with God. I hope that you have a relationship with him. And if you don't have a relationship with him today, let me tell you something. He wants to restore you. He wants to support you. He wants to strengthen you, and he wants to place you on a firm foundation. Why? Because he loves you. He agapes you. He doesn't just phileo you, right? Like, he wants to be your friend, but he doesn't just phileo you. He agapes you, which means he was willing to sacrifice. The Bible said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He agaped us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He agapes you today. He agapes me today. Let's receive that love. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? Nobody looking around. Let's just have a moment a moment to ourselves before we dismiss. And here's the thing. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're the one saying, Gabriel, I've got some things in my past. I've got some things right now in my present that, that are going to 
They're going to hurt me in my future, and I need to get them right. I need that firm foundation today. I need that firm foundation. Maybe you feel broken because of your past, and you need to be restored. Like a mechanic that takes an old car that's beat up and and doesn't work anymore, and the engine's jacked up, and, and, and... And he takes that car into his shop and he begins to work on it and he begins to restore it and he begins to paint it and he begins to fix all the dents and the cracks and he begins to to rebuild it from the inside out. That's what you and I are today. If you're broken and you're hurting today, God wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. And then he's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you. He doesn't just restore us and then put us out in the rain. No, no, no. He restores us and he strengthens us. He supports us. He puts us on a firm foundation. So today, if you need God to forgive you, if you need God to restore you, if you need to have a relationship with Him, maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you've never had a relationship with Him, today I encourage you, start that relationship, start that agape with God. And so here's how we do it. We just simply begin to pray. And I'm going to pray, and you pray on your own, but here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray something like this, just that Jesus, I love you, And I want to give you my life today. I I want you to be my savior. I want you to forgive my sins because only you can do it. Dr. Phil can't do it. Pastor Gabriel can't do it. The counselor can't do it. Only you can forgive me. Only you can change me. Only you can restore me today. And so today I give you my life. I I, I lay everything down. I stop trying to hold on to my way and I, I ask to go your way today. I repent of my sins. There's some actions and some thoughts and some attitudes today that are contrary to what your word says. And and maybe I didn't know that before, but today I've heard what the scripture says. and, And I want to bend my life to fit scripture, not make scripture fit me. And so today I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn from my attitudes and my actions. And God, I want to go your way. But here's the thing, God, I struggle going your way because sometimes I I tend to want to go back. So I just pray that you would strengthen me today. I pray that you would support me today. Surround me with people today that are going to help me to continue to walk in the ways of God. Put me on a firm foundation today because I need you more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.